Mindful self-indulgence contains adult language content and spoilers for the topic at hand. Listener discretion is advised. self-indulgence. It's a podcast about people and the media they love. Joining me this month is Tanner Vogelson. Hi. Hi, Tanner. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Uh, a little tired today, but um, I'm feeling energized and ready to get this thing done. I think everyone's feeling a little tired as they, they, they go through stuff. The the nebulous stuff that we are all floating in in the, uh, the, the virus times. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just because of gestures vaguely at everything all of yeah the world have you seen the world lately uh no Um, i try not to we didn't come here to talk about our modern day apocalyptic uh world it's uh what what did we come here to talk about today tanner uh today we've come to talk about uh a broadway apocalyptic world almost i when i sent you the message i said hey can i come on your podcast and talk about broadway musicals nano machines and peer pressure and you were like sure but you have to find some sort of media that has all three of those together. And I was like, have I got news for you? Yeah, little did I know those weren't just three random things. <laughs> so today I have brought to the podcast the Broadway musical Be More Chill. Now I had, this is one of, I guess, a handful of things that we've covered on the show that I actually have never heard of until you brought it up to me. And yeah. uh, I still don't know a whole lot about it. I've watched about an hour's worth of a performance of it. And I may complete, and that's just because I ran out of time today, and I may go back and finish the rest after we're done talking here today. What is, where did you find this? What's your experience with it? Okay, so so first off, the fact that you've seen actual parts of a performance of it means that you have maybe a little bit more experience than I do, just on account of I've never seen any parts of a stage production. Um, hey, hey, listeners, <laughs> if you can find a bootleg of Be More Chill and send it my way, that would be great. <laughs> But yeah, so my experience would be more chill. I actually found it by way of the fandom for the Heathers musical. Do you, do you know anything about the Heathers musical? I know of Heathers. I know that Heathers is a movement amongst itself, and that's all I know about Heathers. So they made a musical out of Heathers, and mm-hmm. it has not actually made it to Broadway yet. It has mostly been constrained to off-Broadway, though it made it to the West End, so hey, good for them. Um, but <laughs> as the Heathers fandom started to like kind of reach its peak in on social media namely tumblr there was another mm-hmm. musical that came out that kind of hit on like similar themes of popularity and peer pressure and like what it means to actually survive high school and uh, like other than themes is very different but this musical was be more chill and so a lot of people who are fans of heathers kind of fell into the be more chill fandom as well and so those two just kind of started growing at the same time so having already kind of gotten knee deep into the heathers musical and having to actually manage to see a production of that i started listening to be more chill or rather i I had a night where I wasn't doing anything, so I just I grabbed a, a plotless video game to play while I listened to the entire soundtrack, and I was hooked right from the very first lyrics of the show, which go, come on, come on, go, go, I'm waiting for my porno to load, and my brain is gonna freaking explode. Yeah, maybe that's a double entendre with my brain's about to explode. This show is not for kids. But um, it is for teens. It is for teens. It is it is very much for teens. So I, uh, as mentioned before this, I watched about an hour's worth into it. And yep, right off the bat, with that's, that's, that sure is how it starts, with a teen boy in his room waiting for his porner to load. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get technical, it starts with an overture. And the overture was another thing that really got me because it doesn't sound like your standard Broadway fare. Like, I obviously Broadway is evolving when you've got stuff like In the Heights and more like rock oriented stuff and things like that. So it's not all just like hopping a piano and play your show tunes, which I like as well. But I I have a wide variety of music that I like. Um, And the overture for Be More Chill starts off with like a sci-fi techno sound they straight up use a theremin in most of the score and most of the songs for this show and i don't think there's oh, wow. any other shows that do 
Interesting. I mean, to be fair, it's, it's hard to hear a theremin in, like, any music, unless you're, like, specifically Googling theremin. Yeah, or if they're, like, going out of their way to make it the centerpiece, and you can tell that they are, because the... So the theremin is... It's the instrument where it's like two antenna with a current going between them, and you don't actually touch it. You just like poke your finger in between them, and then depending on mm-hmm. where you put your finger, it goes. Yes, noises I, like man, that. The, my so my favorite experience with a theremin was I was like, oh, how old was I at this time? Maybe like nineteen, maybe a little younger. I think it's probably still in high school. It's probably like seventeen. Um, I saw, like, a local band play, like, three towns over in the middle of nowhere, and their, like, guitarist had ran a theremin through their, like, guitar rig, and so, like, in the middle of, like, playing, like, in little spikes in the music, he would just, like, throw his hand out at the theremin to make it, like, go off, and it was the wildest shit. It was the wildest shit, and I have not ever seen it again, and I can't remember the name of the band, and it kills me. Oh, that sounds so rad, though. Yeah, it, it was exactly as rad as you think it was. <laughs> also rad is Be More Chill, because, uh, so, I get, despite you telling me what is all in this, you know, Broadway show, I get a few minutes in, and I'm, I'm chilling, and it's like, the normal kind of high school story, like here's the, uh, this uh, this is the put upon boy. Here's the jocks that make fun of him. Oh, that's, they're very clever. They call him and his best friend gay. And then we get to a point where like previously one of the boys is like, "Yo, you want to snort nano machines? <laughs> like you want nano machines in your brain, son?" Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> yeah. So, so let's let's break down the the plot. Of Be More Chill. So it starts off, you've got Jeremy here. He's a social outcast. I like that he's a quote-unquote loser, not in, like, the more Hollywood sense. Because, like, he does get bullied, but it's not like the jocks are specifically targeting him because he's a nerd and, uh, you're a loser, no, no, no. It's more the fact that he's just invisible. And so much of the bullying is more about him just, like, coming across them and they're just like, oh, let me do this to this one person that no one cares about and then move on with my day. It's mm-hmm. a much more realistic way of depicting it, I feel, because the the show kind of demonstrates a more realistic high school popularity hierarchy in the sense that it's mm-hmm. not really split into cliques anymore like the 80s movies would have you believe. It's more just these are the tight groups of friends that have managed to in this modern age, have a good social media presence, essentially, in their school, and that's kind of what has made them popular. Mm-hmm. And, of course, obviously, you follow all the right trends, and you say all the right things, and you do all the right things. And Jeremy has no idea how to do all the right things. And his best friend, Michael, is like, hey, it doesn't matter, because humanity stopped evolving, so now we can all be losers and smoke weed. And Jeremy's like, uh, okay, I guess. And then... <laughs> And then Jeremy sees his longtime crush, Christine, sign up for the school play. And Jeremy's like, well, if I'm already a loser, it can't get worse. So I will sign up for the play as well. And then everyone calls him gay. And then the background of that, you can hear one girl say, wait, I like gay people. <laughs> I love the whole opening number because I love a long ass opening number in a musical. <laughs> I love a song that takes 10 minutes to get through. Yeah, it's like an eight minute long song at the beginning of this <laughs> and it has like it has its own self-contained triumphant reprise when he gets to the end he's like more than survive na 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 yes that i i can't wait i'll probably be singing a lot here oh that's okay someone has to make up for the fact that i can't so this works out but he signs up for the play and then he like talks to christine in play rehearsal and she sings a whole song about how much she loves play rehearsal and it's wasn't my favorite it's still not my favorite song but it's grown on me since i listened to it and it really does define her like her personality about how she's like a real go-getter when it comes to theater but when it actually comes to real life stuff she kind of falters and they mm-hmm. really it, it's foreshadowing it kind of foreshadows the whole sense of the play that like oh l- life's easy when you have a script and but i if people are just shoved out into the real world it's like i don't know what to do and that's a mood. <laughs> also, the drama teacher announces that Midsummer Night's Dream will be changed into a zombie apocalypse <laughs> Midsummer Nightmare about zombies, which is not a huge impact on the plot, but 
<laughs> go for it. And also, my high school production of Romeo and Juliet almost involves zombies. We already decided to go for a punk aesthetic on it, so everybody had jeans <laughs> held together only with safety pins. And then, at the end, the guy playing Romeo and the girl playing Juliet were like, hey, what if after uh, the curtain falls, we just like stand up and start eating everyone? <laughs> It's okay. Shakespeare can't be mad he's dead. Shakespeare would love it. Probably. And then, yeah, and then Jeremy still can't flirt with Christine. So he goes to the bathroom and then the popular kid Rich is there. Rich is five foot nothing and entirely made of like spunk and and vibes. Yeah. (laughs) And he announces to Jeremy that like, hey, I used to think you're a loser, but now the supercomputer in my brain says that I should make you cool. And Jeremy's response is, are you on drugs? And Rich is like, nah, nah, bro. I'm on the squip. I'm on the squip. This is better than drugs. It's, it's from, from Japan. Japan. <laughs> it's a gray oblong pill. It's very good. It's from Japan. Just by itself is very good. Yeah, which, like, he, he does the first round of, like, explanation. And then Jeremy's like, I, I still don't understand. So then he goes over it again with, like, a metal screamo. The guy who plays Rich, Gerard Canonico, hits those notes so perfectly. Like, I am unfortunately not uh, super familiar with the, like, big official Broadway cast, like, original cast that did these and, like, cut the record and is what everyone is familiar with. Um, perhaps I will be after all of this. I know I, that I'm I mean, also developing a, like, movie? There's a movie in development. There, uh, here's the thing, is that I only have, like, a, a small toe into the Broadway fandom at large, or really musicals in general. There, the, I, there's a difference between, I'm a fan of this musical, and I'm a fan of the concept of Broadway. Um, but one thing you quickly <laughs> learn is that there's a movie in development for all the shows. They've all been options. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I know some of the actors from Be More Chill. Um, normally, the only one I can recognize, like, immediately is George Salazar, because he has been in other stuff. Like, he's shown up in Superstore. He was in a production of Little Shop of Horrors. And I know about that because he was in it with Amber Riley, who was in Glee. Because I have a Glee podcast, but we'll get to that later. I almost name-dropped it earlier. Whenever you were like, yeah, he's kind of a put-upon loser. I was like, would you say he's a loser like you? (laughs) He is extremely, I'm extremely Jeremy. I can relate a lot to Jeremy. I can also relate a lot to Michael. (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, Rich sings a squip song. It tells him about the squip. But you, you take the pill. And it implants into your brain and tells you what to do and like will assess everything going on in your social life in order to tell you how to become more popular. And that's how Rich became so popular because in freshman year he was a loser and then he did robot drugs and now he's super cool. <laughs> and so Jeremy doesn't believe this is real, obviously. And so he heads home. He gets confronted by his dad who's his dad is also a loser because he got divorced and he now he's so depressed that he doesn't put on pants I, I like the fact that on the Wikipedia synopsis, every time his dad is mentioned, it, it says whether or not he is wearing pants. Also a mood. And then Jeremy sings a song that I like to sing. I say I like to sing it with my best friend, but it's more like I kind of sing it at my best friend because he does not know all the lyrics yet, but he likes the concept of it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Jeremy plays video games with Michael and they sing two-player game, which is all about their friendship and how guys yeah. like us are cool in college. We rule in college. Listen, bro. High school is shit, but you've got to help me handle it. Because me and you, we make it a two-player game. Yes. uh, That's such a weirdly specific concept that I think a lot of, uh, I would say, people who resemble Jeremy and Michael go through whenever they're in high school. It's like, it's fine. We'll get to college, and then we're going to be great. Everything's going to be fine once we get to college. Yeah. I think in college, like, you still have, like, I didn't go to college, but I have I was the person too poor for college that visited all my friends who were in college. Mm. And from the outside, it just looked like there was, like, fraternities and sororities, yes. And so the people who would one day grow into, like, our Karens and our cops could at least, like, hold on to that somehow for the time being. Yeah. Um, but for everyone else, hierarchy just kind of seemed to level off where everybody was just equally as confused and put upon and drinking all the time, so... (laughs) Yeah, well, and of course, I'm up in Canada, so I don't even know if we have fraternities or sororities, but we certainly didn't have them in Regina, so... (laughs) 
No, let's just know the, sure. the, the Karens had no chance. They were they were just stuck. They they had no choice but to, I guess, hit it off with a hedge fund manager at a Denny's one night. I don't know where do Karens find love. Tell me, listener. <laughs> Send us an email at myfullselfpod at gmail and let us know where do Karens find love. Is there a Tinder for Karens? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called Manager, but without the e. It's called Manager. With, yes, that's so good. Uh, and this, the symbol is just the haircut. It's just, yep. it's just incredible. <laughs> uh, so, Jeremy goes to buy drugs from a Payless shoe source. Don't question it. <laughs> the The robot drugs have to be activated by drinking Mountain Dew. Don't question it. Uh, sure. <laughs> Why not? Mountain Dew is a plot point. Mountain Dew is a major enough plot point that when I found out there was a Mountain Dew wiki last night, I had to double check to see if Be More Chill was mentioned on the page for Mountain Dew Red, and it is. Oh, incredible. Mountain Dew Red specifically? Specifically, not Code Red. It has to be Red. I love that Michael, I love that our gamer ass gamer boys just pull out Gamer Fuel. Like, he, they didn't have to stop somewhere else to get it. It was just like, here's your Mountain Dew. Yeah, Michael's whole personality is mostly gamer shirts and vintage sodas. Yep, it sure was. I, I got shortly after the Crystal Pepsi part, so <laughs> I mean, that was it, something. It's a step up from <laughs> his personality in the book. There was a, This is based mm-hmm. off of a book, and I have not read the book. But apparently the book is not nearly as good as the show, and in the book, Michael, not only is he not Jeremy's best friend, but he's the weird kid with an Asian woman fetish. Oh, okay. That's the way to go. So I'm glad when they were adapting this for Broadway, they're like, hey, what if we took this character and just scrapped him, and then took his name and attached it to an actual decent human being? (laughs) Also, the fandom has decided he's gay. But are they not? Look, I know that, like, super best friends can just be super best friends, and it's important to have platonic, like, male... Uh, like interactions and relationships and men should be able to tell each other that they love each other and, and all these things without there being any kind of like homoerotic underpinnings but also are they not gay? <laughs> um, well from what I can tell generally it's generally accepted that Jeremy is straight and so Jeremy can go with Christina okay. they're cute together it's great Michael although it is never said in the text of the, the story he is like unilaterally gay when the the crew and the creators found out about this interpretation, they're like, this makes sense. And also, George Salazar is queer. So, let's just slap a rainbow flag on his jacket for every production. That's the best thing we can say. I mean, that makes sense. I just went into this assuming they were both disaster bisexuals. That is also a very good interpretation. I think usually it goes to, like, Michael... Um, if he's not gay, he's a disaster bi, but he never had feelings for Jeremy, and they are, like, totally platonic, and his disaster bi tendencies only come out around the other male characters of the show, who he is paired with relentlessly. And Jeremy gets paired with Christina, or sometimes Veronica Sawyer, because, again, the connection to the Heathers musical. Okay. And sometimes the guy from Evan Hansen is in it. But we're not going to hear to talk about that, because I think Evan Hansen is a terrible show and a terrible premise. Come oh, at me. Oh, hot takes. Hot takes. I know nothing about that show, but I just hear the name all the time. So, okay, let me let me quickly say, Dear Evan Hansen is a story about a teen who he's very lonely and then fakes a letter from a popular classmate to make it look like he has friends. But then that popular classmate kills himself... And then the letter is misinterpreted as, like, the main character having some kind of secret friendship with the popular kid who killed himself. And then the main character's like, yes, this is what happened, and now I'll use this to be popular and get girls. And everyone's like, oh, this is such an emotional and a a great depiction of, like, depression and loneliness in teens. And I'm like, no, this is extortion. Yeah, that's gross. (laughs) I didn't know that's what that was. That's okay. Um, if you're a teen and you're listening to this, don't do that. And then you're already on your way to being a decent person. <laughs> yeah, if, if you're a teen turning to musicals to uh, ease your worries, look at Be More Chill first, and then go to Heather's. Because Heather's has a lot of, like, like mad, wild, crazy bad stuff happening, but, like, it goes out of its way to say, hey, this is bad, don't do this. Fair. Anyways, where were we? We were at Payless. He gets the squip. Jeremy gets the squip, and then he plugs it into his brain, and then eventually it activates, and it takes the form of Keanu Reeves. It can also be other things, including Japanese anime girl. Yeah, or Sean Connery. 
And they're telling him to do things. They're, they're telling him how to be popular. Gives him, immediately starts, like, criticizing him and giving him all this advice. Um, and you immediately know that, hey, maybe this quip isn't a good idea when the chorus is, Oh, oh everything about you is just terrible. Oh, oh, everything about you makes me want to die. I like that when we first get that everything about you makes me want to die line, he turns and goes, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a lot. Are you? Well, jeez, come on, man. Hit the brakes. Yeah. yeah, like, slow down, robot. <laughs> he also asks, like, after the squip lists all the things that he's going to help Jeremy with, Jeremy's like, how are you with math homework? And the squip just goes, I'm a supercomputer, Jeremy. I'm made of math. Yes. <laughs> then they go down to the mall and the squip like, tells Jeremy to buy a shirt with M&M on it to make him look cooler. And then mm-hmm. he runs into the two popular girls, Chloe and her beta, Brooke. She is referred to as the beta by the squip. Sure is. That sure is a thing that happens. Tell her she looks sexy. I can't tell a girl that. No, don't. Don't stutter. Just speak. Don't smile. Don't blink. And speak like you don't fear your own death. Looking pretty sexy, Brooke. And it works. It does kind of work. Well, mainly because he talks to Brooke and it makes Chloe jealous. And then he talks about dating Madeline, who we never see Madeline. Madeline is not a, a cast in the play, but allegedly she pretends to be French in order to make people think she's sexy. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But through elaborate schemes such as these, he manages to make the girls kind of into him. And so then they sing a sexy song about driving home and stopping for frozen yogurt. And they're 16, so you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. Um, Moving on, he ends up not accepting their (laughs) offer of sexy frozen yogurt drive home. And and then he's like, I'm going to get a ride home with Michael. And the squip is like, your friend has already abandoned you. And now I'm going to tell you how you're such a terrible, disgusting, ugly, awful person. But if you listen to all of my advice, you will be more chill. Yeah, God. That, that feel when the AI, the sentient AI in your head is negging you into submission. That's what's happening here. Yeah. So Jeremy starts taking its advice. He goes into the school and he's like, ah, I'm super confident now. Uh, he becomes good friends with Rich because they both have computers in their brain, and so they sink to, like, the cloud or something. It's at this point that details are a little bit fuzzy because, again, I everything I know, I've gleaned from the Wikipedia summary and the soundtrack. And the great thing about this musical okay. is that pretty much every plot beat is covered in the soundtrack, so you can get a pretty perfect idea. Not perfect. Like, obviously, there's going to be stuff between the songs, but you'll get an idea of who everybody is just through listening through the whole soundtrack. You don't listen to it and go, oh, but I have to go see the show to understand what the hell's going on. That's nice. See, now I'm thinking that, like, the way to go about this is for me to just put the, like, to do this the way that you did this, and just get, like, the record and put it on, and just have that going as a narrative in the background. Yeah, I I need to do that at some point with um Hades Town. Hades Town. Yeah, cuz everyone in my life keeps telling me that I need to listen to Hades Town and so at some point I'm going to be like, "Okay, I I'm listening to it now. I will listen and I will like it. I'll do it. I'll listen and I'll like it and it's good. Please like me." <laughs> so Jeremy, now that Jeremy has nanomachines in his head, he tries to flirt with Christine. And Christine's like, well, there is a guy that I'm kind of into. It's Jake. And Jeremy's like, what? Who's Jake? And she's like, oh, he's the cool popular guy that has been, like, befriending me through the play rehearsal because he joined because he also has a crush on me. And Jeremy's like, I don't know how to respond. And then the script says, don't worry, I have a plan. Eminem the rapper is dead. What? (laughs) So, oh, so I guess you didn't reach this part. So in the canon of Be More Chill... This is exactly, this is exactly where I, I got to and I stopped watching. I was like 55 minutes in. We were at like the end of this song and then I like, I had to get ready for the show. So <laughs> I, my mind is already immediately blown that he's like, just lie. Just say that Eminem is dead. Or is Eminem actually dead? Wait, wait, make me understand, Tanner. So... 
So Jeremy is like, I don't know how to get Christine to like me. And the script's like, I have a cunning ruse. And then he makes Jeremy start crying. And then Brooke runs up to him and she's like, don't worry, Jeremy, it's going to be okay. And Jeremy's like, I don't know why I'm crying. And she's like, oh, isn't it because Eminem, your favorite rapper, just died? I, I knew he's your favorite because you bought an Eminem shirt at the mall the other day. I feel really <laughs> bad for you. And then while she like leads him to her favorite spot behind the school, Jeremy's talking to the squip and he's like, did you kill Eminem? And the squip's like, no, I just found it highly probable that it would be around this time today that he would be involved in a freak accident that would result in his death. So they just, they ice Eminem in the continuity of this musical. Eminem like, is up. dead. He, oh my God. Eminem is dead. Long live Eminem? I don't know, whatever. <laughs> and so then we get, we go into... One Okay, most of these are my favorite songs. There's only one song on the soundtrack that I... Or two songs, I guess, that I don't really like. Um, and even then, mm-hmm. they serve the plot well, so I don't actively dislike them. It's just... Eh. Um, but the Act 1 finale, Upgrade, it fucking rips. <laughs> um, it starts off, and it's Brooke telling Jeremy, they're like, Now we can finally officially begin dating! And then, like, as she's talking, the squib starts saying the same stuff, and it's like, and Jeremy, if you, like, let me take over your entire life and upgrade to Jeremy 2.0, then you'll be the most popular person in the school, in the city, even. And then it cuts over to Christine flirting with Jake, because Christine's like, I've never flirted with a popular guy before, this is all new to me. And Jake's like, I've, I've never flirted with a girl who's so cool and real just like you are. This is all new to me. You should come over to my house. Uh, my parents are out of town because they laundered money. Because <laughs> they laundered money. <laughs> Wait, that's illegal. Yeah. Which means the house is empty, so that's fun. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> And then the squip is like, see, see what I'm saying, Jeremy? Christine is already talking to this other guy. So you need to date Brooke to make her jealous. And then you will upgrade your social status. And then you can get with Christine. And then while Michael, or sorry, while Jeremy is pining over Christine, he suddenly stumbles into Michael. And then Michael's like, you've been avoiding me all day. And then Jeremy's like, I haven't even seen you. And then the squip says, yes, I did that. It's called optic nerve blocking. To upgrade to Jeremy 2.0, we have to eliminate things that are holding you back. He's got to do the thing that you knew he was going to have to do. Yeah. And so Michael is like, hey, it's so cool that the nanomachines worked and we should celebrate by getting stoned in my basement. And Jeremy like kind of has his internal struggle and is like, I'd already know what it's like to be the loser. I should find out what it's like to not be the loser. I don't want to be special. I just want to be chill as life will allow. Should I take the upgrade? And then that's when everyone in the background just starts chanting, upgrade, 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 now, 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 now. And then Jeremy basically makes the deal with the devil and agrees to upgrade himself with the squib's help and turns on the, the optic nerve blocking and eliminates Michael from his life completely. And that's the end of Act 1. Or at least it is in the original cast recording. In the Broadway version, they added a new song that kind of parlays out of that part of Upgrade called Loser Geek Whatever, where Jeremy like has a whole ass song about trying to figure out whether he wants to upgrade or not. And it's good, but because I listen to the off-Broadway stuff first, I'm more used to just the progression that comes from Upgrade, so I can't really fit it into my brain normally that's fair and yeah that's the act one finale so act two we go to the halloween party uh it does start with the song halloween which is an absolute banger and it's mainly about kids getting drunk and singing bad music on halloween parties (laughs) uh jake shows up and he like tries to flirt with brooke but he gets uncomfortable because he doesn't actually like her like her that way Mm -hmm. Uh, meanwhile christine is feeling awkward because jake isn't really paying attention to her and he's flirting with chloe and so Chloe doesn't want to flirt with Jake. And so she decides to flirt with Jeremy to make Brooke jealous. And then she like pulls him into the bedroom and sings a reprise of the sexy Froyo song called Do You Want to Hang? Which is uncomfortably horny. And it's supposed to be, but still. <laughs> also, she's dressed as a sexy baby. What? Wait, you buried the lead, bud. You, you put this after you said it was uncomfortably horny. You're supposed to say... <laughs> It's, it's uncomfortably <laughs> horny, even without factoring in that her Halloween costume is a sexy baby. I, oh, that's fair. 
I think uncomfortably horny is just like your baseline as a teenager. Yeah. For most people. People without sex drives notwithstanding. To, to be fair, uh, there are people without sex drives that also get uncomfortably horny, as I have uh, discussed That's with true. one of my asexual friends. That is true. Who, who did, he did, I can mention this because he put it all on Twitter, but he talked about how he's asexual <laughs> because he doesn't want to have like sexual relations with another person because they make him uncomfortable right. and he would have them for their sake but he doesn't actively pursue it and that's not why he gets into relationships but on the flip side his exact words were this dick hungry this dick hungry yes very good thank you for pointing that out because i don't think i i don't think i explained myself as well as i could have and i appreciate your correction i mean i i get what you were trying to say i was just like here's a funny ag- anecdote where i get to say this dick hungry so i'm gonna go for this it dick hungry it's like right when the world gives you a this dick hungry, you gotta you gotta grab that dick and see where it takes you. <laughs> so, will this make it into that episode? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the the other reason this scene is uncomfortable is because Chloe. So Chloe is clearly drunk and trying to have <laughs> sex with Jeremy. So that's already bad. And then Jeremy's <laughs> like, I don't want to do this. And then the script says, no, you have to do this. And so he takes over all of Jeremy's bodily functions and attempts to have sex with Chloe on Jeremy's behalf to make him more popular. Oh, God. Oof. Yeah. That, woof, woof. This is just like a uh, like a, a chimera of bad that is happening here. Yeah. All sorts of bad coming together to make one big horrible bad. Extremely. So Jeremy Jeremy manages to get away because he had some alcohol, and once it kicks in, it shuts the squip down temporarily. Interesting. Okay. And so he runs away. He he tries to have a one-on-one with Christine, but like Christine is sad because Jake has broken up with her and abandoned her for one of the other girls at the party. And so when Jeremy tries to ask Christine out, she's like, no, I, I have no idea what's going on in my life, and you're acting really weird, so I'm going to bounce. And then... Jeremy runs into Michael, and Michael's like, Jeremy, I've been searching, uh, looking stuff up on the squip, and it seems really dangerous, and it seems like a lot of people get really messed up from using it, but at this point, the squip, like, reasserts itself and convinces Jeremy that Michael's just jealous, because Jeremy's popular now, and Michael's still a loser, and so then Jeremy abandons Michael. Michael has a panic attack in the bathroom, and the song aptly called Michael in the Bathroom. It is a very sad, very good song, and I like to sing slash yell it. And I won't do that now because I might blow out the microphone because of the emotions. If anything about this has been relatable, it sure is that. <laughs> Michael in the Bathroom is kind of the song that helped the play take off because it is the closest to like a Broadway standard and theater kids ate that shit up and rightly so. Valid. And then while all this is going on, Rich, remember Rich? Remember like short Rich who had the squip from before? Yeah, I remember little Rich. He's like... His entire his nickname for Jeremy was Tall Guy. Yup. Tall, tall, really? You have a nano like machine like AI supercomputer in your brain, and that's where you landed. Okay. Tall Guy's that sequel to like Tall Girl that's coming out in, on Netflix. Yep. Next month, right? Tall Girl, the next generation. Tall Girl, Tall Girl, the next generation. The new class. <laughs> So, anyway, so Rich Rich is having a mental breakdown and asking if anybody has Mountain Dew Red. All right. And then when he can't find any, he burns down the house. Jake <laughs> breaks both of his legs, jumping out the window, trying to escape. Oh, oh no. And then the events of the night are recapped in my... No, this is legitimately my favorite song. It's called The Smartphone Hour, bracket, Rich Set a Fire, end bracket. It's about the <laughs> school gossip Jenna calling... Chloe, who then calls Brooke, and then all of them, like, texting and tweeting everybody to let them know that Rich set a fire and he burned down the house. Rich set a fire and he burned down the house. It was incredibly gory. I know the whole damn story, and I wasn't quite there, but I know what happened, I swear. So this, I mean, this story sure does take some twists and turns. Yeah. So, news spreads... And it's the whole song is kind of a send up of the the tweet or the the social media activism where it's like I've changed my picture to I've changed my profile pic to you and now I know exactly what you're going through. Oh God, God damn it! <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, sure is a lot of that. And while while this is going on, Jeremy gets confronted by his dad again, and his dad's like, "Jeremy, you're acting weird." And Jeremy's like, "I fucking hate you, Dad." And then his dad is finally like. I think something is seriously wrong with my son. 
Michael, what's going on? And Michael's like, he's been possessed by nanomachines. Please put on some pants and accept your responsibilities as a parent so we can save your child. Oh, God. <laughs> there, is a, there is a song called The Pants Song, where, where the chorus goes, When you love someone, you put your pants on for them. I mean, yeah. And it, that's the other song that just doesn't vibe with me, because it, it just kind of feels out of place in the rest of the musical. Okay. Uh, compared to a lot of the other songs where they have repeated riffs and melodies in them it kind of stands out as something that's just kind of weird and hokey i mean it is certainly relatable it is relatable to say that like i i would put pants on for you yeah <laughs> but if it breaks up the tone of the musical then maybe they could have cut it out maybe they could have found a better way to go about that maybe it fits in better if you're i'm actually watching the live version but as i've mentioned mm-hmm. several times before i haven't yet so this it doesn't work in the version of the musical that exists in my head and my head only. That's fair. It's all an audio bit when the dad comes in wearing just boxers the entire time. Yep. And then we, we start going into the end game. Uh, Jeremy is like, I'm concerned about the Squip damaging my relationships. And then the Squip is like, but what if we gave Squips to everyone in school and then they all synced up and then that's how we made you popular? Don't question it. I'm going to make you do it anyways. And so he sets up a plan to have everyone get squipped at the play while singing The Pitiful Children. Very good villain song. Okay. Then, yeah, the squip basically takes over Jeremy's body as everyone else starts acting possessed. Um, Brooke and Chloe, like, sync up their brains and talk in unison. And it's very creepy, but also very funny because they're still talking like teenage girls. (laughs) Jeremy's like, I have to get rid of you. Uh, I'll get drunk. And then the script says, yeah, but you can't stay drunk forever because I'll just come back when you're sober. And then Michael's like, wait a second. Rich was looking for Mountain Dew Red because he was trying to switch his quip off. So I just have to find Mountain Dew Red. And the script's like, yeah, but we've destroyed them all. Oh, no. Too bad you don't have a friend anymore that collects vintage drinks. And then Michael bursts into the backstage and is, and he's like, Michael makes an entrance. Uh, <laughs> I was watching in the theater. And I was like, this is pretty good for a high school play. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is way too good for a high school play. They've all been squipped. <laughs> and so then they run up to Jake and, they're, and Michael's like, hey, Jake, I know this is going to sound weird, but if I held down Jeremy, would you pour this Mountain Dew Red into his throat? And then Jeremy's like, yeah, sure. Um, and then, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that whenever the squip takes somebody over, he says the Konami code. <laughs> up, up, down, right, left, right, A. And then, like, dramatic overture. Um, also, this is a part, it's not in the song, but I know about it because someone got the audio of Life Performance and put it in an animatic they made. So Jake gets quipped, and he drops his crutches and marches over to Michael and Jeremy and, like, takes them out and do red and pours it all out. And they're like, whoa, did the squip fix your legs? And then Jake says, nah, it just made it so I can't feel pain. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's rough. They try and get a hold of the last few drops of Mountain Dew Red, and then, like, all the whole, basically, the zombified, nanomachine cast of the play, like, attack them and try and keep them apart from each other and apart from the bottle. And then the script's like, if you get rid of me, then you'll never be able to get with Christine! And Christine walks in, and she's been squipped. And she's all, like, dramatically sexy and stuff, and she's, like, mindlessly saying that, you're the guy that I'm so kind of into. Yes, the guy that I'm definitely into. And so they get all real close. And Jeremy's like, you mean she'll do anything I say? Yes, Jeremy. Anything. Great. Holds up the Mountain Dew. Drink this. Christine takes the Mountain Dew red. Because all the squips are synced up, they all get shut down at once. There is two straight minutes of screaming on the song. Oh, wow. (laughs) And then the squip basically gets to... We get to hear the squip die. Oh, no. Keanu. And then Jeremy wakes up in the hospital. Thank God. He sure needed one. He's sharing a room with Rich, and Rich has also managed to get rid of his squip through the same, like, iCloud Mountain Dew Red shenanigans. He has a lisp again. He's like, finally, everyone at school is going to get to learn about me. All the girls are going to know the real Rich Garansky. And the guys. Oh my god, I'm so totally bi. Incredible. And that's the other reason why Michael doesn't get paired with Jeremy, because he's usually paired with Rich. I see. And then Jake, Brooke, and Chloe, I don't know, they can form a polycule, it's fine. Sure. Also, Jeremy's dad is there. Thank you, Wikipedia, for pointing out that he is finally wearing pants. 
<laughs> it's very important to note at the hospital that this man is finally wearing pants. Yep. Uh, he says that he'll be a better dad to Jeremy, and then all of his friends are around him, and Jeremy finally asks out Christine, and he's like, I'm sorry I drugged the whole school and put nanomachines in everyone, almost ended the world. <laughs> but hey, everyone, Poe Buddy's nerfed, basically. Gotcha. <laughs> And Christine's like, no, I I understand. I hate to admit that I just wanted things to be easy and have a script to follow. I mean, yeah, because who wants things to be hard? But let's start over. Lunch? Just you and me? Aww. And all the voices in our heads. Yeah, there may be voices in our heads. But I swear the voices there will be the regular kind. Me and the voices in my head have made up our collective mind. What do they say we should do? I think that all of us want to go out with you. And then everyone sings about how, yeah, there's always going to be voices in your heads, but they can yell and hurt you and stuff, but as long as the loudest voice is yours, then you're going to be okay. And even if the voices are real or metaphors or nanomachines, also the squip just like lurks in the background is like, Jeremy, you can't get rid of me that easily. And then Jeremy just yells him off stage, and it's great. Aw. Yay! <laughs> you see, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for societal pressure. <laughs> well, here's the thing. There are there are whole dissertations. Okay, I don't know if there's actually dissertations, but it wouldn't surprise me if there are. But there are whole debates raging on what the squip represents. Is it peer pressure? Mm-hmm. Is it literal drugs? Is it like uh, just the society's pressures to be normal in general? Is it just regular self-doubt? Is it the closet that Jeremy's trying to come out of? Is it all of them? Maybe the answer was is yes. Maybe the answer was inside us all along. <laughs> Maybe the real nanomachines were the friends we made along the way. That sure is a whole ass show. That took that went some directions that I was not expecting to. Whenever I I I thought I was getting into just a, a high school boy jerking off before school, <laughs> but no, it's actually uh, pre-apocalyptic asterisk plot about nanomachines. Nanomachines, son. Na- nanomachines, son. It's so. I, <laughs> I think this is what happens if you like try and get Hideo Kojima to direct an episode of Degrassi. I think this is uh, basically what you would get. Oh my gosh, that is such a wild take, and yet I don't think you're wrong. I mean, I haven't seen it all yet, so maybe I'm missing some context. But these are the vibes I get. I like be more chill. I can relate a lot to the characters, especially when it comes to not always knowing what the hell I'm supposed to be doing, because, hey, good news, kids, you know that feeling of unease that you have in high school? That just persists for the rest of your life, dog. (laughs) Yeah, turns out, adults don't know what the fuck they're doing either. They just act like it around you, so you're not as scared. Exactly, and we, we don't have robots to tell us what to do, as far as I know. If we do, I haven't found one, and I don't like the taste of Mountain Dew, so I'm not sure if I'd get one. The squip would tell you, no, you don't want to you don't want to drink that. It tastes like ass. You don't want this. You don't want to do the do. They should call it Mountain Don't, am I right? Exactly. <laughs> if I was writing for the squip, it, it would just be it would be still Keanu Reeves, but he would be like so transparently cheesy that you knew like like rather than being a caricature of toxic masculinity, <laughs> which he kinda is in the first part of this. Oh yeah. In mine, it would just be the kid who shoots finger guns and says the worst thing. It would be me. I'm saying I would cast me as the squip. I would just be like, more like Mountain Don't, right? Am I right? <laughs> it would not be as popular as it is. I would be blacklisted from writing any sort of play for the from now until eternity. Luckily, whoever got their hands on it got on, their hands onto it and not me. Yeah. I mean, the squip, he's hes definitely, there's a lot of toxic masculinity in him. That's another thing he could be a metaphor for. It's, <laughs> it's not like he's like a frat boy, though. It's more in the sense of a, a pickup artist, I would say. Yes. Like, he's there and he's like, he pulls out his notepad and he's like, now here's the logical way to seduce the weaker-minded women. God, yes. <laughs> By the way, if I were ever to get onto the show, I would like to play the squip, namely because most of his songs are in my range. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> 
conversely, if I were, first off, I can't play Rich because I'm too tall. And also, if I tried to sing his, like, song, his main song, the Squip song, I would hit those high notes exactly once, and then I would never be able to sing again because I would have died. Yeah. That, I mean, that, uh, that was the best song that I saw out of my 55 minutes of viewing. It was the Squip song. So, I mean, we've talked about the show itself. We've talked about it a little bit, but, like, what does this... What does this mean to you? Why, why of all the things, when, I mean, I had you on my list forever to come on the show, I just had not worked down to your name on that list quite yet, and probably would have reached out to you for this month if you hadn't done so, because it just, it just seemed right to have you follow Christina anyway. <laughs> uh, but whenever you reached out to me, you were like, this is the thing that I want to do. Why that? Uh, it's... It's one of those things where I like I love listening to all the songs just on their own, but quite often in situations where I'm feeling in a bad brain place, I'll just decide, you know what, this is a good time to listen to the entire Be More Chill soundtrack and just go through all those songs because I can relate so well to characters like Jeremy and Michael and even Christina in like in the sense of like I'm not sure what I'm doing with my life and I feel uneasy. Am I doing the wrong thing? Uh, am I am I lame? Do people like me? <laughs> And so I listen to that whole song and I get to listen to the actors just fucking go for it and every part of every note. And it's almost cathartic hearing them being able to overcome their problems and figure it out. And it is one of those things. And it's not exclusively Be More Chill that gives me this feeling, but quite often it's what I can turn to. It's the easiest thing to, for me to turn to at a lot of times. And it's just like these kids... These kids played by 27-year-olds figured out their problems, <laughs> and so I, the real 27-year-old, can do it too. I have the power. I don't need a robot. I mean, I'd like a robot, but in a different sense. You know what I mean. Yes. <laughs> Man, okay. Yeah, the... So, as somebody else who uses music for catharsis, I totally get that. I don't know why I'm not so much into, like, musicals. It seems like a pretty obvious fit in a lot of ways for me but it's something where like i haven't found the right one yet that's gonna like make me care about this medium in the way that so many others do and be more chill seems like it's really cool i don't know if it's gonna be that one for me or not i haven't finished it but it does seem like it it can i see why that would help you in that respect that these characters by the end of this thing and this is why stories this is why people like stories i think in general is because they can imprint themselves onto somebody in the story and then by the end of their resolution, they figured their shit out, and yay, that's great. And then whenever stories have a more, some would say, I fatalistic, some would say realistic ending, where it's like, they shit ended, and, and now it's over, and now they're going to go do something else. That's not satisfying for people, because like that's what we have in the real life, in, in this, mm -hmm. the, the world that we live in now, in this hellscape. I think the closest I get, honestly, and I was thinking, this is a weird, this is a weird kind of tangent, um, as most tangents on the show are known to be. But musicals kind of dig into those like heavier topics, but they always kind of have this bright and bubbly overtone to them. So there's a dissonance, right, between the things being talked about and the way they are being discussed and the tone and the timbre at which we are addressing these things. Absolutely. Like, oh, I, I think if you look at the development of popular Broadway shows, like, it, a lot of them definitely start as just, they sound optimistic and they are optimistic just throughout the whole thing. Uh, mm -hmm. And then at some point, there was a trend started where it was like, we've got really happy, fun music or, like, these positive-sounding ballads, but if you look at everything happening outside of the song, everyone's life is just completely falling apart. And that was kind of the oeuvre for such a long time that that was kind of the joke. It's like, act one, oh, we're all so happy and singing. Act two, everyone has died. <laughs> um, and I think it's like in the modern day, things have started to like reverse that where it's like we're, we're singing darker songs about darker topics. But as things go on, we're figuring shit out and we are earning our happy ending. And it, it's a struggle to get there, but we are getting there. And now these optimistic songs, most of them are actually optimistic. For sure. Um, all this to say is I think musical theater is just... It, it's just a stage play with third eye blind music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the other thing you were saying is that how like you you can like do get your catharsis through music, but not necessarily through musicals. I think mm -hmm. it's just some people. It depends on if they're able to 
I'm not sure if buy-in is the right term, but if they can connect to the narrative and mm-hmm. like, and I, I don't even think it's a specific kind of division between some people connect to narrative music and some don't as like specific things. But I think there is generally, there are people who will prefer songs that are more vague because then they're more applicable to their lives. And then there are people who like more specific songs. So mm-hmm. maybe not all of them apply, but this one does. And so I'm going to make it like part of my personality and then there's people like me who are kind of in the middle where it's like, I can connect easier to narrative songs, even if the narrative doesn't necessarily apply to me. Like, okay. I, like as you were talking about your thing, I started thinking about another song I like that's not from a musical. It's by a band called A Silent Film. It's called Danny Dakota and the Wishing Well. And it's about two friends. So like, they were friends as they were kids. And as they grew up, the, the girl waited for the guy to make his feelings clear and he never did so she moved away they grew apart and then they come back together at the end of the song and this is absolutely not connected to my life at all there's nothing in my life that has resembled this song but i like the narrative of the song and so that song also gets me emotional sometimes sure that's always an interesting thing like sometimes pieces of fiction that you don't connect to on any literal personal level but uh the characters are painted in a way that you are drawn to for whatever reason, you're able to latch onto them at that level. All this to say, how that disconnect works, how someone can, like, it's not something that uh, there should be a sympathy for there. Right. But you connect, you connect to it just as strongly as something that could have been ripped straight out of your life. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how writers uh, and, like, musicians, composers, all the people along the way that turn these things into works of art. I'm not sure how that is done so deftly. I wish it was so I could write better songs and make better things and do better podcasts and make better art in general. Yeah, same. (laughs) Whatever that secret sauce is, it'd be real nice to know. Maybe it's in the form of a gray oblong pill that we take with Mountain Dew. Exactly. And that's what's gonna that's what's gonna get us there. That's what that's what that is. They've just they've just been Squipped. That's all it is. Yep. So another thing from earlier, you said that like you, you haven't been able to get the same kind of emotional I can with musicals. Maybe you just haven't found the right one yet. Um, might I suggest the musical? One that I actually, I almost switched at the last minute. I was like, hey, what if I talked about this instead? Um, but it's the <laughs> musical Come From Away. And okay. that's a show that every time I suggest someone listen to it, they come back and like, I'm crying. And I'm like, yes, so am I. Aww. And it is about... Uh, when 9-11 happened and U.S. airspace shut down and so all the planes that were in the air had to be relocated to the nearest place and a lot of planes ended up in the small town of Gander, Newfoundland and so the town's population doubles overnight and the whole musical is about like all the connections that passengers make with each other and with the extremely welcoming uh, Newfoundlander townsfolk as extremely good music it could easily be called emotions the musical there's so many fiddles it's great there's so many fiddles <laughs> there's so many fiddles <laughs> they slap the top of that musical and they say we can fit so many fiddles in this thing basically uh, um wow okay i'm that is certainly that is certainly a thing to make a musical about should they have i don't know but they did they did it and they I mean, they, sure they base <laughs> they base pretty much everything from the musical on stories of people that they interviewed from the tenth year anniversary of the Come From Aways, where literally everyone who was there went back there in 2011, back to Gander, and the writers okay. of the musical were there as well. And they're like, "Hey, what's tell us the story about this?" Um, and one of the main characters is one of the pilots from one of the planes that landed there, and she is like the real person is best friends with the actress who plays her. That's a better... I want to see. I want to know about that story. That story is more interesting than the actual nine eleven story to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's it's like it's it's more about the friendship than the actual events of nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Like, and the whole like part of the whole point of it is that there, it's such a whirlwind of like fun and friendship and being like released from the reality of the situation that it it like you forget that they're there because of such a dire event and it's like a plot point like right at the end of the musical like after they leave like oh we're all so happy and excited and it was great we had a great time and then everyone come back here and there's a whole song about oh now we're back in the real world fuck oof that's another soundtrack that I listened to the entire thing in one sitting and I'm like oh okay that's great I love it 
whenever you, you started out with, do you do you want to hear the saddest shit in the world? And then my stupid sad ass was like, you you bet your Jimmy's I do. <laughs> and then you're like, it's about nine eleven and people who ended up in Newfoundland and and in a town called Gander and they all hung out there until it was time to go back home. And then I was like, huh. <laughs> No, yeah, like, I I could have come and talked about that one, but I decided to stick with the Be More Chill, because that's what I prepared you for, and also, I, mm-hmm. like, what I've told you I've come from away, that's pretty much everything I could tell you about it. Everything else, I'd literally just be reading off the Wikipedia page. Yeah, uh, I think, um, I guess to get back to this idea of this, like, dissonance between a happy tone, like, happy music, sad lyrics, or, like, a sad messaging, happy delivery, however you want to put it. That is, and I think this might be why... I, at least a part of why musicals work so well for some people is because no matter what your mood is, no matter what your mood is, there's going to be something about it that's resonating with you. Like you're going to get something out of that experience. It's either going to help you pull yourself out of that bad mood because everything's uplifting sounding, despite the messaging, like specifically not being that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that's probably a big selling point for stuff like that. And at least tangentially that's the best way I can for rationalizing why so many people love musicals as much as they do that and that it's a heightened reality like the the which is probably a big block for some people too is that heightened reality of the can I say the word verisimilitude I think is the word I'm looking for oh yeah I I think so but no yeah I totally get what you're saying the logical consistency is very different and heightened and like it seems to all be consistent within itself but it is not the real world yeah I have a friend who is like he doesn't like musicals and he's trying to figure out why he doesn't like musicals and a lot of it seems to be boiling down into he uh he can't buy into it he can't suspend his disbelief for a lot of the musical numbers. Sure. Uh, But strangely enough, he's, as far as I can tell, he's watching every musical he can get his hands on, and apparently right now his favorite is Newsies. It's a 90s live-action Disney-produced musical directed by the guy who went on to direct High School Musical, and it's about newspaper boys in, like, early 1900s New York trying to unionize, and the main one is played by itty-bitty baby Christian Bale. Honestly, that's pretty close to what I imagined. When I heard the term Newsies, that's pretty much where my mind went. 1920s-ish paper boys is where my mind went. So, okay, yeah, fair enough. At this point, Tanner, we've touched on, I think, about everything we could have, unless there's something I'm missing. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about today? I think I covered all the bases. If that's all you have for me then I guess I don't really have anything else that I need from you aside from tell the people where they can find you, what you do, how to find all the things that you make, all that stuff. You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and on Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. And you can also find my podcasts on Twitter. I am the GM for a Pokemon tabletop actual play podcast called Pokemon Adventures in the Millennium. And you can find that at PKMN underscore Millennium on Twitter. Um, and I'll, as always, I remind people that it, it is a cussing podcast, even though it is Pokemon. So, like, don't just pop it on for your kids and walk away because we swear like sailors on that show. And then I have Not If I Reboot You First with my friend Lindsay, who's also in the Pokemon play. And that's a podcast where we take our favorite properties and reboot them before Hollywood has the chance to. That podcast can be found on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for Not If I Reboot You First, and they're pronounced NIRIF. <laughs> and then the third podcast I have, which is a more recent creation, and it's one I host with Christina of the previous episode. We have a podcast called Loser Like Me, where we are watching through every episode of Glee and recapping and reviewing them and kind of grimacing at all the stuff that they got away with and shouldn't have. That can be found on Twitter at Loser Like Me Pod. We update bi-weekly. We, we are slowly but surely getting through the first season. Uh, as of recording, we only have four episodes out, but we've also recorded a lot of episodes ahead, too. So it's still going to be a little bit before we catch up to where we are in releases compared to where we are with just stuff in the bank. <laughs> well, hell yeah. Definitely go check out Tanner and all the things they do. They do great work on all of their shows. Heap all your praise and money at them. I Whatever you got, just just do it. Do the things. I will say don't worry about the money right now because I know that's <laughs> we're, we're in funky times. Yeah, if you can, you can afford to, <laughs> thanks. But if you can't, don't worry about it. 
Right, right, right. Like, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other people. So, like, don't forget that, people who listen to this show. But yeah, I guess all that's left for me to do is to say, Tanner, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate you carving time out of a Monday night to come on and talk about a musical featuring nano machines and peer pressure and high school masturbation habits with me. Yeah, thank you for letting me gush about all of that. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Mindful Self-Indulgence is a Retrograde Orbit Radio production. If you like the show, make sure to rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can find us on Twitter at MindfulSelfPod and can email us at MindfulSelfPod at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, you can do so via PayPal through the link provided in the description below. As someone living with undiagnosed chronic illness and unable to work, it really helps me out. If you can't wait an entire month to hear more of my dulcet tones, you can check out The Third One Sucks, where me and my friend Mark and I rank every movie in a franchise from first to worst. You can find it and other great shows like it on RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. I'll see y'all next month, and in the meantime, be mindful and remember to take time for yourself and the things you love. Silent Bob just turns to the camera at the end and says, Trans rights. <laughs>